You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. If you've been with us for a while, you know that as a church, we are all about practicing the way of Jesus together in Paragold and in Jonesboro and beyond. And so what we do is two to three, four times a year is um, we take time just to pick a practice that we see from Jesus's life and from his teaching. And then we teach on it here. And then we work through it in missional communities throughout the week. And so we really believe that if we're going to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. You have to practice the things that Jesus practiced. And so as we kick off this new series today, um, it's a series on fasting and feasting, on fasting and feasting. And we're going to talk specifically over the next several weeks about Jesus's relationship to food and how it actually impacts our spirituality. And so with that in mind, I'm going to invite you to go with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, I'm going to start in verse 16. And I'll read down through verse 18. Matthew chapter 6. I'll read verses 16 through verse 18. Jesus said, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray together one more time. I ask that you pray for me as I pray for you. Father, I thank you for each person who is here today, um, who wrestled with kids and got up early um, and made time, carved out space to be here today in order to hear from you. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that that's what you will do right now, that you will take these words and that you will make them more than just words and this more than a talk, that you will make it alive in our hearts. I do just feel compelled right now to pray for the different churches throughout our city, to pray even for the opening of of Central Baptist and their new campus here in town as they launch today. I pray that God among them, especially as they launch, that you would just bring about much fruit in their ministry, that we would see the kingdom begin to grow as a result of them being here and just pray that Holy Spirit that you will move throughout all the churches today as we gather. And it's in Christ's name that we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, on Tuesday um, of last week, I, along with several of the leaders in our church, took the whole day to fast and pray as we prepared for a meeting um, where we would come together as leaders and look at our SWOT analysis and just think about where we are as a church and where it is that God is calling us to go. And so uh, all day from sunup to sundown, uh, did not uh, eat anything, drank only water along with our staff. And that's something that we do uh, fairly often in order just to hear from the Lord and, and, and to be obedient to Him. But then that night, whenever I came home at 8.20 p.m. in order to break the fast, uh, my wife had for me just this delicious uh, plate of food set in me. So it was one of my favorite meals. It was our home style country ham. And then it was deviled eggs. And then also it was some Hoppin' John, which if you don't know what that is, that was razorback peas from our garden um, that was cut up with some onions and some other good stuff she puts in there over a bed of rice. So it was just a fantastic meal. And then the next day, after the day of fasting, uh, we celebrated our nine year anniversary. And so uh, we got babysitters for the kids. And then we got reservations at the Southern Social in Memphis, which if you've not eaten there, would totally recommend it. 
a fantastic restaurant. And uh, when we got there, I don't know, is the screen working? Is it? It is working. Okay, when we got there, um, we actually, uh, as an appetizer, got these fried pimento cheese sandwiches that were absolutely amazing. Look at that. Um, yes, I am the guy that takes pictures of my food. And so... <laughs> Um, but I don't put it on Instagram anymore. And so, um, progress, right? And so that was fried pimento cheese sandwiches, uh, with some pepper jelly. And then my wife, um, what she decided to go with was this Chilean sea bass. Do we have a picture of that? Okay. Yeah, there it is. Uh, over this risotto with, uh, a wilted spinach and roasted tomatoes. And then I went with, cause Chris Rose told me it was the best. This right here. Um, this is a tomahawk pork chop with, uh, loaded mashed potatoes and green beans. And then, and to wash it down with, um, we got some of these. Do we have a picture? Yeah, that's, that's from the Whimsy Cookie Factory. Thank you, Megan Helms, for that. And Megan and I may or may not have eaten uh, every one of those cookies. And so um, I share all that with you, uh, not to try to make you envious or to torture you right before lunch, but I just want you to consider the fact that as disciples of Jesus, there are times where we should feast, and then there are times where we should fast. There are times where we should enjoy food, whether it's a fancy restaurant for our anniversary or just a simple home-cooked meal throughout the week. But then there are times, as we will talk about this morning, where we should abstain from food for spiritual purposes, which, if we can be honest today, is a lot harder for us than most of us would like to admit. I was reading an article just this past week that pointed out that the average American thinks about food every 30 to 45 minutes and on average consumes one ton of food a year. One ton of food a year. I read another article in the stateofobesity.org that said Arkansas, which is where we live, obviously, is now third in the nation in obesity. Third in the nation in obesity. We've actually climbed from 21.9% of our state being obese in 2000 to 35.7% being obese or overweight in 2018. Needless to say, we live in a food excess culture where many of us are eating at least three meals a day, and we're probably having coffee before breakfast, dessert after dinner, and then snacks all day long, which I think indicates that food, if we stop and think about it, has more power and control over our lives than we probably care to admit. To make matters worse, underneath this strong desire that many of us have for food is an even deeper desire that psychologists are referring to as the pleasure principle, which is, by their definition, this driving motivation of the immature to do whatever feels good in the moment. So once reserved for children and middle schoolers, now the pleasure principle has become the new norm in our society, which hence the rise of obesity which hints the rise of household debt and divorce and destructive addictions of all kind. As we think about that this morning, as we think about the fact that we have undoubtedly become this fast food culture that is all about instant gratification in the short term, which I would say is absolutely hurting us in the long term, the question before us today is, is there a practice from the way of Jesus to help us break free from the power of the body and its desires over us? And underneath this desire, is there a way for us to break free from the pleasure principle that is running many of our lives and leading us into unhealthy, immature patterns that are keeping us from experiencing the life that God has created for us to experience? And in short, the answer to that question is yes. There's a lot of different practices that we can engage in to help us. But what I'm going to submit to you this morning is at the top of that list, 
is if you really want to move from slavery of your own desires into the freedom that Jesus has for you, if you really want to move from the bondage of your own instant gratification into the freedom that Jesus wants you to experience today, at the top of the list of all of the spiritual disciplines is the practice of fasting. And so here's what I want to do, because there's a ton of information out there. I'm not going to give you probably a, a whole lot new today, but you really need to pay attention because there's a lot of really bad information out there on this topic. And so to help us kind of lay a foundation of where we're going to go, I want you to flip with me over to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, if you will turn with me there. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to look in verses 1 through 6. And if you have a physical copy of your Bible, I would encourage you, as I do often, bring it with you. It is not a sin for you to use your app. It's not wrong for you to use your app. I just think that we really miss out on something we don't tangibly get to interact with our Bible. I was thinking this past week, we went on vacation to Branson, and I was remembering back in the days when I was a kid, and if we went on vacation, my dad had to get a map out and literally like map out our course. And you could see like where you've been and where you're going. And now we don't have that. We just like top in and we're there. And I think it's kind of the same way with the Bible. It's good to have a physical copy so you can kind of see where you're going and interact with it. If you don't have a Bible, uh, as, as a church, we'd love to buy you one. So you can come and see me after it's over and, and we'll, we'll hook you up. So Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Here's what we read. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, I've heard this story a thousand times, which I'm sure many of you have. But I started thinking this past week about not one time that I've heard this story do I ever remember someone talking about the fact that original sin had to do with food. With the inability to not eat something that is right in front of you and actually looks good. Now, let me be clear, we know when we dive into the story, the main temptation for Adam and Eve here was not to eat food. The main temptation was for them to distrust God. The main temptation was for them to begin to believe the lie that they could be God rather than let God be God. It was the, it was the temptation to basically trust their own instincts rather than God's wisdom. It was the temptation to believe that God is not good. But notice, though that is the main temptation, what is the means to that temptation? It's food. It's the temptation to eat or not to eat. And the reason I draw that out is, listen, guys, I believe this has to say something about the human condition. Because if you read this story in the context of Genesis, what you will know is when God created Adam and Eve, he actually said, I am giving you the ability to rule over creation, to rule over the animal kingdom, to rule over the plants. But then what happens when they eat of the forbidden fruit? There's an inversion in the story. And now, rather than ruling over creation, creation rules over them, right? Rather than ruling over the animal kingdom, the animal kingdom, the serpent rules over them. Rather than ruling over the plants, right, the fruit of the plant begins to rule over them. And as a result, immediately, everything is fractured. Something goes terribly wrong at this point in the human body and its desires, not only for food, but also for pleasure. Which is why the Apostle Paul, later in the New Testament, would write and ask this question, Who will save us from this body of death? 
Who will save us from this body of corruption? It's a rhetorical question, and really, what's the answer to the question? Who will save us? Jesus. Hey, anytime someone asks you a question in church, the answer is going to be Jesus. And if it's not, you won't get in trouble for answering Jesus, okay? It's like the little boy in Sunday school who is uh, totally sidetracked. I think we've got time. This teacher says to, <laughs> this is something totally like a joke my dad would tell, but that's all right. The, the Sunday school teacher says to the little boy um, or to the Sunday school class, hey, what is furry, climbs trees, and eats nuts? And the little boy says, I would say a squirrel, but since we're in Sunday school, I'll go with Jesus. And so, <laughs> anyways, same kind of principle here. Um, yeah, it's Jesus. So with that in mind, flip over to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And let's find out how Jesus has come to save us from this body of death, from the body of corruption. Matthew chapter 4. And what you're going to notice here, we're going to look at verse 1 through verse um, 4. And what you're going to notice here is a parallel between the story you just read and the story with Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So you already see some parallel here. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So now he's tempting Jesus with food. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So if you read that, you feel some deja vu, that's a good thing. Matthew is literally trying to parallel this with the garden story. And what Matthew wants you to see is like Adam and Eve, Jesus here is now going to go face to face with the tempter. And like Adam and Eve, what is the tempter going to use as a means to get him to sin? He's going to use food. But here's the good news. Unlike Adam and Eve, and unlike all humans throughout history, Jesus here is going to succeed where we all have failed. Jesus is going to be victorious where we have lost. He is going to be faithful where we have been unfaithful. And in doing so, because he is perfect and sinless here, not only here, but throughout his, his whole life, because he's completely obedient to God, and then because he goes to a cross and he dies for our sins and he raises from the dead, what Jesus does for us then is he opens up for anyone who wants to experience it, life now with him in the kingdom as it's meant to be. And that's really good news. And Paul, when he tries to theologize this later in 1 Corinthians, he says, Though in Adam all have died, in Christ all will be made alive. That is a beautiful truth. We could spend a ton of time on this morning. There's so much more that can be said about it. But for our purposes today, here's the question I want you to consider. How is it when you look in the wilderness that Jesus was able to succeed where Adam and Eve failed? And so many others have failed. How was he able to succeed? How was he able to pass the test? How was he able to keep from falling into temptation? Well, when you look in the story, clearly we see Jesus was in silence and solitude because he was in the wilderness and so there was prayer. But you also see Jesus fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. It says clearly here in verse 3 that Jesus was hungry. We know that because of the fast, he would have been physically weak. But notice in here, he is spiritually stronger than ever before. He is at the height of his powers because in this moment, Jesus is walking in step with the Holy Spirit. He is filled with the empowering presence of God. And therefore, as a result, when Jesus needed it the most, he was able, because he had power and control over his own body, to go uh, toe-to-toe with the tempter. 
And therefore, because that is true, it should come as no surprise that we see not only fasting as a regular part of Jesus' life, but we also see that he wanted it to become a regular part of our lives as well. And we see this in Matthew 6. If you just flip over again a couple pages where we started our teaching, in Matthew 6, verse 16 through 18, I mean, clearly what we see in here is Jesus just assumes that all of his disciples are going to fast. I mean, did you, did you notice that whenever we read it earlier? If you look again at verse 16 and verse 17, Jesus says, not if you fast, but what? Amen. When you fast. So Jesus clearly assumes, not just once, but twice within three verses in 16 and 17, that, this, that fasting is going to be a regular part of the disciples' life. The problem is, however, if I can just address the elephant in the room, the vast majority of us don't do this. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, because we did research and we did a poll and we actually asked all of you, how many times do you fast? And what we found out, these are the results that are hot off the press, people, hadn't been released anywhere else, all right? 83% of Fellowship Bible Church says they never fast. 83%. Now, that's really good news if you're sitting here today and you're like, I don't fast, because what's that, what's, what that means is that you're not alone. Right? What that means is if you don't fast, if you don't do that, like, like you're not in the minority here, you can look around, there's 83% of people to your left and your right that are in the same boat as you. And that's good news, but here's the bad news. What that tells us is over 8 out of 10 people in fellowship never do something that Jesus himself practiced and assumed that every one of his disciples would practice. This fasting is no longer a norm, not only in our church, but in all of society. It's really kind of fallen to the wayside. But what's interesting is when you look throughout church history, this was not the case at all. And I'm not going to bore you with all the history, but if you want to go back and read it for yourself later, there's all sorts of documents on the early church that point to the reality that the early church believed fasting to be one of the most important disciplines of all of the spiritual disciplines. Fasting is actually mentioned 77 times in the Bible. And just to give you some context for that, baptism is mentioned 75 times. The early church knew that it was important to fast. And so the early church and throughout history, we would see Christians fast up to twice a week, not to mention periodic fast before Lent, Holy Saturday, baptisms, and the Lord's Supper. And then if you keep reading uh, through church history, what scholars and historians tell us is that this actually continued as a really normal part of Christianity for a long time, at least all the way up to the days of John Wesley in the 1700s. And if you don't know who John Wesley is, he basically is the founder of the Methodist Church, which looked a lot different then than it does now. He really is one of the most influential leaders in, in, in the church and the West. He's an incredible man. His impact is still being felt today. And I want you to hear what he says here. In the 1700s, whenever he began to feel that maybe fasting was waning a little bit, here's what he said. I fear there are now thousands of so-called Methodists, or you could just feel in Christians there, both in England and in Ireland, who following the same bad example have entirely left off fasting, who are so far from fasting twice a week, so there it is, right? It's this practice of fasting twice a week, if you're a disciple, who are so far from fasting twice a week, they don't even fast twice a month. I, I love how a Wesley here, it's like, like, you know who you are. I'm not going to call you by name, but you know, because you don't even fast twice. It's like some passive aggression coming out of him here. And then look what he says. He says, the man who never fasts is no more in the way of heaven than the man who never prays. Now, I'm not saying I totally agree with Wesley here. He was single and could be a little bit grumpy at times as a result. <laughs> but he is also considered one of the greatest leaders in the history of the church. 
And the point that I just want to make is this. At least for the first 1,700 years of Christianity, fasting was considered a core practice for those who were practicing the way of Jesus. There was a time for a long stretch throughout history where if you were at all serious about your discipleship to Jesus, you fasted. But now that's just not the case at all. Because we are a fast food culture that is built on instant gratification where the pleasure principle is guiding most of our lives, fasting in the Western modern world has fallen to the wayside, which in return, what I submit to you this morning, has stunted our growth, has drained us of our power, and robbed us of the deeper joy that is found in Jesus Christ. So this is a problem. The question is then, what do we do about it? And in order to answer that question, I think we have to start with, well, what exactly is fasting and how do we do it? Those are the questions that I want to get at or get after. And in order to answer the question of what fasting is, let me start by telling you first what fasting is not. Okay? And there's three things for those of you who are taking notes. And the first thing I would say is this, is fasting is not abstaining. I regularly will hear people say things like this. I am fasting from social media. I am fasting from shopping. I am fasting from Netflix. I'm fasting from you fill in the blank. And I would just say like, though that's a good thing, it's not called fasting. That's just called growing up. I mean, it's just, it's just saying like, okay, it's not a good thing for me to play Xbox four days in a row. So I'm going to fast from, I mean, I'm going to abstain from Xbox today, right? Or it's not a good thing for me to shop like every single week. So I, I, I'm not going to do that for a series of time. And again, it's a good thing to do. It's, a, it's an important part of our spiritual development, but don't call it fasting. Just call it, I'm not going to shop for three months or I'm not going to get on social media or whatever else. Okay. So, so fasting is not abstaining. Secondly, what I would say is fasting is not a restricted diet. How many of you in here have ever heard of the Daniel fast? Anybody remember the Daniel fast? It's really big back in the 90s. Um, the Daniel fast comes from Daniel chapter 1, where Daniel is in the middle of the Babylonian empire. He's trying not to like fall into the corruption. He's trying to stay set apart. And so he makes a commitment before God to eat only fruit and vegetables. And again, this is a really good thing, but not once does the Bible call this fasting. Not once. And so, you know, if you want to lose weight and you want to detoxify your system and not get sucked into Babylon, it's a great idea to have a restricted diet. <laughs> but again, it's not fasting, okay? Third, I would say is fasting is not a dieting fad. There are many people out there right now talking about intermittent fasting, which is basically restricting your eating to an eight-hour window. And if you go Google this, it really does have a ton of health benefits, Mental clarity, skin clarity, uh, gut clarity. I mean, there's just so much that goes with it. But it's not true biblical fasting. Because for Jesus, as important as the act of fasting is, just as important is the motivation behind the fasting. And I don't know for sure, but when you look in Matthew chapter 4, I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't fast just because he wanted to get ripped. Right? Or six-pack six pack abs or right, clarity of mind or just look really, really good whenever he showed up to change the course of human history. So fasting is not abstaining, it's not a restricted diet, it's not a dieting fad. The question is then, what exactly is fasting? And the way we would define it is this. Quite simply put, fasting is not eating food in order to feed on the Holy Spirit. Fasting is not eating food in order to feed on the Holy Spirit. Or in the words of John Piper, fasting is whole body hungering for God or in the words of Dallas Willard, who we quote every week, fasting is feasting on our Lord and doing his will. So fasting, if you're picking up on this, it is about abstaining from food, but it's way more than that. 
Because it's not just about not eating food. It's about not eating food for the purpose of being filled more and more with the empowering presence of God. It's a practice, as you can see, that's about starving the flesh so that you can feed on the Spirit. And to try to help you kind of wrap your mind around this, I want to have you turn to one more place very quickly. Galatians chapter 5. Turn there with me. Galatians chapter 5 is the last place I'll have you look. And I just want 10 more minutes of your time. Galatians chapter 5. And if you are at all looking for a passage of Scripture to memorize, I would try to memorize this one. I think it's one of the best passages in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 13. And I'll read through verse 25. Paul says this, Galatians 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And look at this. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us then also keep in step with the Spirit. Man, it's a beautiful passage. There's so much there we could talk about for such a long time, but here's just what I want you to notice. Notice in here when Paul talks about the flesh, here's what he means. He doesn't just mean like this physical flesh. What he's talking about here is our disordered desires. He's talking about our desires that are out of whack, that are turned in on themselves and away from Jesus. He's talking about the desires that says, I want to do whatever I want to do, and I don't care who you are or what you say, I'm going to do it. It's the part of us that is rebellious to God. It's the part of us that in Romans 8, it says, leads us to death. And listen, guys, that part is in all of us in this room right now. Whether you're a disciple or not, we all still battle with the flesh. But then Paul says there's a deeper part of the disciple that he refers to as a spirit. And this is the part of you that is in contact with the empowering presence of God. This is the part of you that actually wants what Jesus wants. And so for now, you have to get this. The one day, the flesh, it will be dead, praise be to God, right? I mean, our bodies will still be in heaven and glorified, but we won't struggle with sin anymore. Now, who's looking forward to that day, right? Well, that's coming. For now, though, we're still all a mixed bag. So everybody in here, right, what Paul is saying, you have the flesh that says, I want to do whatever I want, and that leads to death. But then you also, if you're a disciple, you have the Spirit, and he says that leads to freedom. And the reason this is so important is you have to get this. Guys, please listen to me. Everything in our culture Everything in our culture right now is telling you the opposite of this. Everything in our culture is saying, hey, you want to be happy? You have to gratify the desires of your flesh. 
Everything in society is telling us right now, you want to experience real fulfillment, you want to experience freedom, then you should deny yourself of nothing. That's what our culture is telling us. I was reading, um, it's a book called Kitchen Confidentials by Anthony Bourdain. Many of you know of Anthony Bourdain. He uh, was the host of Parts Unknown. He was a journalist. He was a chef. He had fame. He had fortune. He got to eat the best food you could ever imagine. He traveled to the best locations and just recently, he took his own life. And I'm reading his books. I'm trying to understand what's going on with this guy. And I come across something on Friday night. I read it to Megan and I read it kind of laying in bed, about to go to sleep. And here's what he says. And I quote Anthony Bourdain when he wrote this book. Your body is not a temple. It's an amusement park. So enjoy the ride. Sounds really good. But then I wake up the next morning and in my daily Bible reading, I read 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Listen to how the Apostle Paul says something different than Bourdain. Bourdain says, your body is not a temple, it's an amusement park. Enjoy the ride. Apostle Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. As I read that, my heart broke, and I thought, man, I just wonder how many people in our culture today, in Paraguay, Arkansas, maybe even in our church, they're buying into the lie that like Bourdain, My body does not belong to God. It belongs to me. And therefore, if it looks good, if it feels good, if it tastes good, who in the world do you think you are to tell me that I can't get what I feel like I need? That's where our culture is. So I'll be whatever gender I want. I'll date whoever I want. I'll sleep with whoever I want. I'll spend my money however I want. I mean, who are you to try to tell me how I should live my life? And therefore, as a result, because many people in our culture are treating their bodies literally like an amusement park rather than a temple, like Anthony Bourdain, there are many people who are amusing themselves to death. Please hear me, guys, because you know this is true. Despite what culture says, freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want whenever you want. Freedom, however, according to the scriptures, is the ability to live in the Spirit and want what the Spirit wants. It's to know what's right, and then to actually want to do what's right, and then through the power of the Spirit, doing what's right with the right motive, even whenever nobody else around you is. That is true freedom. And according to the scriptures, according to Jesus... If you want freedom, he says in his own words, you are to take up your cross and follow me. You are to lose your life so then you can find true life. In the words of Paul, if you want freedom, the goal is not to gratify the flesh, it's to crucify it, it's to put it to death, it's to starve it for the purpose of feeding on the Holy Spirit. And one of the greatest practices, the reason I share all that, one of the greatest practices to help you get there is the practice of fasting. It's the practice where you say for a period of time, this is what fasting is, For a period of time, whether it's 24 hours or from sunup to sundown or whenever it is, I am going to abstain from food for the purpose of feeding on the Spirit. For for a set of time, whatever you set that to be, I'm going to say no to food for the purpose of, like Jesus, drawing energy from the Holy Spirit so that I can gain the power that I need to bring my whole body and flesh under God's control. That's what fasting is. And I just want to be very clear, this is not easy. It's not. It's not. It's called a spiritual discipline for a reason. Fasting is really hard. In fact, for those of you who have fasted, you know by like 10 a.m., right? Like it's embarrassing because if you're in a quiet room, it's just like, I mean, your stomach is growling. 
I mean, your flesh will begin to flare up in the words of Richard Foster. Fasting will begin to reveal the very things that control you. So if pride controls you, it will reveal pride almost immediately. If bitterness is in your heart or jealousy or strife or anxiety or toxic anger, right? By 10 a.m., you're going to feel like really, really hangry, right? And the stuff inside of your heart is going to begin to come to the surface, that is why Dallas Willard says the following, and I read this to my wife last night, and it was like, yeah, that could pretty much just be my sermon. So thanks, Dallas Willard, for again saying it better in a paragraph than I do in 30 minutes. So here's what he says. The discipline of fasting teaches us a lot about ourselves very quickly. It will certainly prove humiliating to us as it reveals to us how much our peace depends upon the pleasures of eating. It may also bring to mind how we're using food to ease the discomforts caused in our bodies by faithless and unwise living in attitudes such as a lack of self-worth, meaningless work, purposeless existence, or a lack of rest or exercise. If nothing else, though, it will certainly demonstrate how powerful and clever our body is in getting its own way against our strongest resolves. Well said. Needless to say, fasting is hard. To fast is a fight. Listen, fellowship, I promise you, it is a fight that is worth taking. Because if we fail to fast over time, listen, if you fail to fast over time, it will begin to have a negative ripple effect throughout your whole life. Because from what I've experienced, what I've heard from others, if you can't say no to your flesh when it comes to the food, you're going to have a really hard time saying no to the flesh when it comes to all the other cravings that begin to crop up in your life that are opposed to God. I was thinking about this even this past week when we were in Branson on vacation, and I did not hold back. I literally ate everything that was in front of me. I'm eating fast food. I'm eating Amish cinnamon rolls. I didn't know I'm eating pork rinds. I'm telling you, I went crazy. It's like gluten galore uh, over Branson. And, and here's what happened was... What I noticed is that um, as I began to just like not deny myself of any food for the entire week, I mean, my anxiety began to kind of rise a little bit. Lust began to crop up more in my life. I began to just find like other sins, things I began to just, you know, let my eyes wonder, whatever else, and it all began to happen as a result. And I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not at all saying like you can't go splurge. I'm not at all saying that gluten is the devil. Though I know there are some of you that take gluten-free communion who believe that. I'm not saying that. The point I want to make is just simply this. From my experience, whenever I fast, my desires do begin to change. They really do begin to change. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at this. I've got a long ways to go. In many ways, I'm still a novice in this area. But what I have found is that when I fast, the fleshly desires that I have for lust and greed and pride, it begins to go down. It's like that muscle is weakened. And then at the same time, my desires to be with Jesus and become like Jesus and do what Jesus did begins to be strengthened. Which is why this is such an important discipline in the life of every disciple. And I don't want you to hear me wrong this morning. I'm not saying that fasting is a one-stop shop, okay? So I'm not saying, like, you don't need to read your Bible, you don't need to show up here on Sunday mornings, you don't need to serve, you don't need to pray. Like, as long as you fast, everything will be good. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying, listen, is according to the Scriptures, if you truly want to become the man or the woman God created you to be, it cannot be done apart from fasting. Just can't. And so with that in mind, as we do every practicing series, we give you a practice to work through with your missional communities. And so, um, as you guessed, this week the practice is fasting. Who is pumped right now about that? Hey, you're like, kind of low, okay. So, um, 
So we're going to fast this week um, for those who choose to be a part of it. And you can learn about this on your app. It should be on there. But it's a really straightforward practice. Basically, what we're asking you to do is to set aside time this week where you fast, whether it be from sunup to sundown or just do breakfast and lunch for 24 hours, whatever it may be. And we would encourage you to do this with your missional community. Um, for us and our missional community, usually we eat a meal when we come together at night, but we're going to actually skip the meal tonight, and we're just going to spend time praying together as a missional community. And then if those who choose to, they can break fast later tonight, or they can break fast um, for breakfast or for lunch or dinner, however they choose to do that. And what I would just say is, listen, if you're here and you're like, man, I'm just not ready to do this. Like, I just don't want to fast. And listen, this is such a safe place for you. There's no pressure to do this. There's none whatsoever. And so what I would just say is if you're here and you choose not to fast, what we just ask as pastors is just two things. Is one, please don't rain on everyone else's parade that chooses to fast. And then two, like maybe just be open and honest in your heart. Like, guys, this isn't Jared Pickney teaching. It's, just, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one calling you to this, not me. I'm just the messenger. And so maybe if you're like, man, I'm just not going to do this, then just be honest with the Lord about it. Maybe talk to a missional community leader or someone in your fight club begin to process why you don't want to do it. And then whether you choose to fast or you don't choose to fast, I want to make this very clear. Fasting is never commanded in the New Testament. And so what that means is, is when it comes to fasting, you don't fast so you can earn God's love. You don't fast so that God will love you more. But when you fast, listen, When you fast, realize fasting is about experiencing, ultimately, less of the flesh and more of God. It's about experiencing less slavery and more of the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. And so when you fast this week, don't make fasting so much about abstaining from something as much as it is about feasting on Jesus. Don't make it so much about like, oh man, I've got to miss another meal, as much as it is about the wonderful reality that your body really is the temple of God. And you can now, by the grace of God, be filled with the one who alone can give you the satisfaction and the fulfillment that you were longing for. Make fasting about creating space in your life to truly, maybe even some of you for the first time, to taste and see that God really is as good as he says he is. This is a practice that God has given us for this purpose. And also to help us do this, a practice he's given us and we engage in it every week is the practice of communion. And the whole point of communion is, is basically to help us taste and see that God really is good, that he is the bread of life, that we actually need him more than we need food and drink itself. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, I would encourage you this week, you know, whether you're a member of this church or not, come and tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice and be reminded of what Christ has accomplished for you. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, listen, well, we would ask of you is that you abstain from the Lord's Supper and instead rather than partaking of this, you partake of Christ. I really am convinced this morning that maybe there are some of us in here who fall into Philippians 3.19 where the Apostle Paul says that your God has become your belly. That you literally have made instant gratification and personal happiness the ultimate authority in your life, not Jesus Christ. And you're missing out. And I want to call you today, rather than partaking of communion, to partake of Jesus to give your life to him, to look at people like case studies like Anthony Bourdain and so many others who have given their life to pursuit of happiness apart from Jesus, and it's a dead-end road. Trust in Christ today. And if you want to know more about what to do and how that works and how to become a disciple, you can talk to me. I'll be standing right here. would love to pray with you and encourage you. And again, if you are a Christian, you can partake. And so with that being said, I want to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to pray for you, and the band's going to come forward. I want to pray over you. And then we'll partake of communion and sing one more song together.
Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for each person who is here today. And I know that everybody comes in here, myself included, with some sense of baggage or some anxiety, maybe some bitterness, some frustration, some disappointment. And I just pray that right now that, Jesus, that you would meet each of us where we are. I'm so thankful that you're gracious and you're kind and you're patient. And I just pray that you will take these truths that we've talked about today and you will help us truly to believe that you're better. That you're better than our money. That you're better than our marriage. That you're better than our kids. That you're better than success. That you're better than our jobs. That you're better than than sex. That you're better than any of those things. And I pray that as a result, that Lord, that we will come to you with the empty hands of faith. And that we will receive you as you really are. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.